Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Adequately Informed Podcast for Tuesday, September 1st, 2020. My name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And Evan Kelly, what are we here to do today? Well, Joe, we're going to do today what we do every day. Discuss the news of the day, the challenges facing our society, and we're going to ground our approach in terms of factual accuracy and compassionate values. We are going to evaluate information in good faith, no matter where it comes from, do our best to keep ourselves and you adequately informed. Yeah, we realize that uh, we are only human. We don't know everything. Our views aren't, our, our point of view isn't the only one that matters. And we are not on the ivory tower looking down upon everyone as peasants for their silly beliefs. No, we can believe that other beliefs other than ours are valid. So, Evan, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Obviously, it is a very tough time in our world right now, and acutely so. I know it feels like we've been saying that for years, but uh, things are inching closer to a breaking point. How are you doing, Joe? I am mentally exhausted. Um, so for uh, those that may not know, uh, I'm, I'm just going to preface this whole episode is uh, we're going straight to the main topic, which is the shooting that happened in Kenosha or, well, the, the events that have happened in Kenosha, which happens to be where I live. And this week I have had to deal with all of that uh, that's happening in the community that I live in. Then also I'm in the process of changing jobs and some several, several other things going on in my life. So I am mentally exhausted, but I am still here to talk about it. Um, so, yeah, and we appreciate you being here, Joe. <laughs> and first of all, just uh, I'm. I'm Glad that you're at least <laughs> hanging in there and, you know, we, we're going to appreciate your perspective on this. Well, thank you. Um, uh, why don't you uh, kick us off with the big picture of what has happened? So the broad strokes, as I understand it, were that uh, a couple of weeks ago. The a week ago, like a week and just, a half ago. <laughs> A week and a half ago is two weeks ago in podcast timeline. <laughs> okay, regardless. <laughs> um, the world was sort of set ablaze by another video of a black man being shot by police officers. Officers were responding to a domestic disturbance, and a man named Jacob Blake was shot in the back seven times. We know from a video that was released, Blake was walking around his car, attempting to go in the car, where reports say that his three sons were, and when he reached into the car, he was shot seven times in the back. Blake has thankfully survived. He will be paralyzed likely for the rest of his life, but he will hopefully be able to tell his side of the story. The aftermath has been really consequential. Many sports leagues are canceling games in protest. The activist community 
has been reinvigorated by this latest event, and unfortunately, some of the more unsavory elements who might consider themselves activists have been out in force as well. In Kenosha, in the wake of protests, a 17-year-old teenager, Kyle Rittenhouse, shot three protesters, killing two of them, and is now facing criminal reprimands for doing so. All in all, it feels more intense even than the George Floyd protests. It feels, from an outside perspective, like the center can no longer hold even as as unstable as the previous situation was. And obviously things are escalating with sports leagues trying to force greater change. And now the protests turning deadly. Also, I believe there was a a Trump supporter who was murdered in Oregon as well. So there's beyond the violence enacted by police, now people who are protesting are being drawn into the fray as well. And it uh, seems like we're going to have a rocky road these next couple of months. So Joe, what does it feel like to be there? Uh, For our listeners, Joe calculated that he was exactly one mile from where this incident took place in Kenosha. So basically his backyard kind of incredible that he's there living through this. Well, what's it like on the ground? It's uh it's been interesting. So, yes, I I live a mile away from the corner or the area where uh Jacob Blake was shot by the police seven times in the back. And that like when I first saw that video and that that had happened, like I had, you know, I am a transplant to this community, so my ties, you know, I don't, I'm not engrossed in the local media section. I don't have a bunch of people on Facebook I'm friends with from here. So, you know, there isn't a hive mind of things being shared, but, you know, I saw it on Twitter and, you know, I was just, I was absolutely taken aback. The fact that, and I looked up, you know, the address and I was like, holy shit, it is a mile away from here. It is so close. I was asleep at the time it happened at 5 p.m but you know i'm a night person and i think i was either asleep or just waking up and the and uh he was airlifted from to uh the hospital in uh i'm pretty sure it was in wawatosa he got airlifted from the high school that's like across the street from me from where i live um so this all happened here and at first there were um I mean, there were both protests and rioting that was happening here. So very quickly that first night, um, there were some pretty intense uh, showings that came out uh, downtown. Uh, A bunch of people had gotten together to protest, um, but then also set fire to some municipal vehicles, some used car lot, a, a car lot nearby the courthouse and some other buildings downtown. And basically since that happened, this whole, this whole area has been on lockdown at night. Um, I, uh, 
I work for a, uh, do transportation for a major, uh, uh, grocery store chain in in the area. And they, uh, their store, they, uh, you know, they boarded up all the windows and doors and then also parked semi truck trailers in front of all the doors to make sure nobody got in because the, uh, the people who were more intent on doing property damage, uh, were out in force, which I don't know how to feel one way or the other about it. Some people are very concerned about it. Some people are very not concerned in it and I'm somewhere in the middle, but it is interesting that I've been in this community and, you know, some people have, you know, ba- made a big fuss about, you know, buildings getting burned down and all that stuff. And, you know, I've gone out and I've looked and seen some of the buildings. It's like, you know, of course, there's people on Twitter and all that kind of stuff who do the hyperbole of Kenosha is burning to the ground. And then I'm like, go drive around. And it's like, oh, I mean, like 99.8% of the city's still here. It's still um, <laughs> all right. Uh, it just seems like a few buildings uh, got ransacked, maybe a few storefronts trashed. Um, but uh, yeah, the all of downtown Kenosha is boarded up. And even further away from downtown, like even like five miles away, um, most businesses are boarded up. And all the like because you know they don't want someone to come along and you know the it's a big police presence uh in the earlier days i had been out driving and i saw convoys of uh sheriff's departments coming in from other uh counties to come and help out with the fray and then also in, in the back half of the week like two two or three days in a row when i was on my way to work I saw the same National Guard like convoy coming in from out of town um, because that same high school where they airlifted Blake or Jacob Blake out of, they have now commandeered and is now the National Guard outpost for the area for the time being. So there it it has been a, a tense feeling. And then so things had ramped up things were you know getting pretty crazy and then that night where uh kyle rittenhouse i think is his name uh shot those two uh people or shot those three people and killed two of them and since that night that i think that was the peak of things where the peak of the tense feelings and the scaredness about it all because after that it really calmed down uh the the tone of everything kind of changed where there were fewer um you know there were protesters but they were more just protesting and not as many rioters and then also uh the presence of (laughs) militiamen who are not members of the government, but people out with guns thinking that they're installing order that also decreased. Um, now I don't know if this had to do with the national guard coming in or not. That's kind of a toss up of, you know, which caused which, because both happened at the same time. But, uh, since that night when the two murders happened, it has since calmed down, um, at least on the, kind of civil disobedience front um and you know i feel 
you know, I feel like people should be a whole lot calmer. I mean, hell, I think people further away from here were way more concerned with what was going on than a good number of people who lived here. But that may just me be me projecting my own feelings about things. I wasn't super concerned about everything, but it was still just crazy that this happened in this community that I live in. And all of a sudden it was thrust into the natural or the national spotlight. And, um, it's, it's been, it's been crazy. It's been a crazy week of stuff going on here. Yeah. I mean, I remember getting that message from you initially of the initial video and then the, the map <laughs> directed yeah. between that spot to your apartment. And it's almost surreal to have a connection that close to it because a lot of this has seemed more abstract i mean with the video the video kind of makes nothing abstract anymore it kind of brings everything into the concrete but still though to i mean even back with the george floyd protests happened there was a big contingent in indianapolis and driving and seeing the boarded up buildings that makes it a little bit more real even and then for you to be in the midst of it all um can you tell the listeners about the camera crews (laughs) Oh yeah, the <laughs> yeah. This morning I went to go and get breakfast, and I drove from my apartment to downtown, and I saw this morning three separate camera crews filming spots for whatever their shows were, just along my drive. Like, just the new. There are so many news agencies. There's so many people from outside in this town now, trying to take a glimpse at what's happening. Um, it, it's it's pretty wild but then also another note is downtown like i wish i had some pictures of this but downtown there has been kind of a movement where like all the businesses are boarded up but some, like a lot of people have started painting some really beautiful art on the boards that board these businesses up and it's actually quite beautiful um for what it is and it seemed like a you know fair number of the businesses were actually you know supportive of what was going on but you know they just had to board their business up so it's uh <laughs> it's we've we've been in the spotlight and it was very weird like a few nights because again i'm not immersed in the local media system and or you know clicks with you know of people of what's going on here you know just like refreshing my twitter feed and you know just typing in kenosha and seeing all these people talk about what's happening in this town that i live in and some of them being more concrete and then others not knowing what's going on and it was just crazy to me that you know, all these people talking about what's happening in my town that I live in and not being there talking about it. So I can kind of get why some people like can get up in arms when something happens, like something bad happens somewhere, but then people elsewhere start talking about it and talking about like how bad and whatever it is, because it's like, what man, you're not from here. You're not affected by this. Yeah, this isn't your life. This isn't your trauma. This isn't your fight. Yeah, 
But then, you know, I also know that things that happen, you know, can be indicative of bigger things that happen and, you know, can be used as a jumping off talking, uh, uh, talking point to talk about things that help happen elsewhere in the world. Because, you know, what I was talking about feeling of outsiders talking about things, I mean, that's not a, you know, that's not me pointing at the left or the right you know, if, you know, if we're talking politics, because a lot of people will use that as a political thing, both sides do it. Nobody's, uh, uh, no, neither side is, uh, uh, free from doing that and things, but because, you know, you talk, it's easier to talk about things through events that happen than abstraction. And this event happened. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, we're not trying to say that there's not legitimate discourse like, oh, stay out. It's it's an important thing and it needs to be discussed on a national level. But it does, I guess, what Joe is relaying to us is that it creates a little bit of a uh, an interesting experience to have people who aren't in the community speaking so intimately about details of events in the community. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, how the fuck did you know? <laughs> I didn't even know. How'd you how'd you get in on this? Yeah. Did you talk with Jeff? I haven't talked with Jeff yet. I bet Jeff knows. <laughs> he was the, he knows everything. He's he's got he's the, the leak. He's got the inside scoop. He's the Kenosha leaker. Um <laughs> uh, might, might want to think of a different name for him, but yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um so now I guess that's my experience of what's been happening, but uh, yeah, I guess the more specifics of what happened, uh, I mean, really a, the big part of it is two events of, you know, the whole two major events of the Kenosha saga of the past week. And the first is the shooting of Jacob Blake by police officer or by an officer. And it... I'll say, uh, you know, I was going to say this for later, but I have been struck by how crazy this event feels, mostly because it feels like this is the perfect event to that can perfectly divide between the two, the normal two sides of this argument, because it almost perfectly plays into each other's talking points so perfectly Mm -hmm. like so jacob blake um you know police were called to the scene because of a domestic disturbance and apparent you know apparently uh from his point of view jacob blake was there breaking up a conflict between two women then there's kind of some gray area in between but then um, that led to officers attempting to arrest Jacob Blake. Um, we, that's, I mean, that's one of the big things that for me that, um, you know, I, I have questions about is how did it go from domestic disturbance to um, trying to arrest Jacob Blake but then also we came to learn later that 
uh, Jacob Blake had a warrant out for his arrest for uh, a sexual assault and some domestic issues. So, and, but anyway, back to the, the moment. So there was a domestic disturbance, kind of a yada, yada, yada that we don't know about. So there is another video where uh, Jacob Blake is, uh, has like a, like several cops on front of him. They're trying to pin him down to put cuffs on him and arrest him. And he somehow breaks out of it. And then he uh, get breaks out of it, walks to his car. The officer has a gun drawn and Jacob Blake keeps walking. And when Jacob Blake tries to get into his car, uh, the officer then proceeds to shoot him seven times in the back. Um, presumably, for whatever reason that you know they believe he's a dangerous man, there's also come out that there was, I guess, a knife on the floorboard of the car, but at that point they might as well have told us there was a knife in the kitchen in the kitchen next door. But um, it did not appear that uh, anyone was in immediate danger by him going into the car and they shot him seven times. And the way that, you know, this event, but then also the, the murders that happen afterwards, it's just like, you know, the, the oftentimes the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter version of events is that, you know, this, uh, you know, this man or this person, you know, uh, regardless of what they did, they should have been, uh, you know, they shouldn't have been uh, shot at because that was a response that was way too much. And then that if that person had been white, uh, that those course of actions would not have been taken. Whereas the, um, you know, uh, the opposing viewpoint is often that, hey, if this man had just complied with police, he would still be alive today. Um, and, you know, they had good cause because he was a criminal and even, uh, you know, a, a violent criminal at that and that they couldn't let him go because he, you know, posed a threat to the community or whatever, whatever made up on the back end. And... It's just crazy because, you know, those are normally the main talking points. And, you know, in some of these, whether they're true or not, it's one thing. But it ends up being both sides end up being true. Now, where I often disagree about is what we do with that. But at least that's how it is now. What do you think, Evan? Maybe the most remarkable thing to me about this is sort of how much we don't know and how a lot of people are very quick to fill in details that support what they want to be true. I, Like I said, I am so glad that Jacob Blake survived. Number one, because it means we didn't lose another human life over this. But number two, I think we can finally have a full accounting from the person who was shot. Because you because we, there's so much that we really don't know we don't know why the police were called in the first place i've heard 
you know, people in my social feed on the left saying that Jacob Blake was just some sort of peacekeeper who was gunned down for no reason. I've heard people more right-leaning say that he was the focus of the call. The truth is we don't know. Mm -hmm. And I guess that uh, maybe that doesn't end up mattering in the end result, but it matters in how people talk about it. And we don't live in a world that allows us to wait for confirmation before we start spouting our opinions on it. And there's also conflicting information about whether the officers knew that he was armed or what armed with a knife, of course, not a gun and what sort of threat that could have credibly posed. And again, that matters very much when we're making these bold claims about what this event means within the broader context of our world. So I almost try to look at it from a broader perspective and wonder almost take a comparative approach wonder how this fits in and i know that the notion that well if you just comply you're fine is complete bullshit people are shot or killed in other ways whether or not they're complying george floyd was incapacitated and it didn't stop his murder you know um it, it it really it's not enough to save your life just to obey what someone says unfortunately so there's just not a shred of credibility to that for me and then additionally i think if we want to live in a world where we accept that not complying one time is a death sentence i think that is a very dangerous slope and puts a lot of power in the hands of people who I would maybe like to see that power delegated through our court system and a justice system. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that we have to understand that there's the concept of righteous kill, right? If an officer has a credible fear that their life is in danger, they will feel empowered to do what they need to do. And Again, without the information, I have no idea how credible a righteous kill defense would be in this instance, and also I'm not a legal scholar anyway. But perhaps the most salient thing for me comes when we compare it to the second event about Kyle Rittenhouse, and this is where I think it really matters, because I think something that Joe and I agree on is that we want to live in a less violent world overall, and that's a noble goal to work towards, but... When we look at the violence that is present in society, and this is where the racial component comes into it, why is it that Jacob Blake, you know, if he was mad, if he was, you know, trying to storm off in his car, if he was, if the police were after him, why is it that he ends up getting shot in the back seven times? And why is it that police essentially witness a young white boy Kyle Rittenhouse shoot three people and let him walk away because if it was about following the law wouldn't the cops have shot Rittenhouse who was armed if it was about being armed wouldn't the cops have shot Rittenhouse as well it's the same 
force, right? It's all the Kenosha police force. And so to me, it's not about whether what happened to Jacob Blake was justified or not. It's about the undeniable fact that the decision-making that law enforcement officers make in terms of threat assessment is directly tied to the skin color of the suspect. And that is wrong. And that, well, obviously what, what I would hope would happen is that we can reduce levels of violence overall. But until that happens, we need to make sure that people of color are not disproportionately viewed as threats and acted violently upon. Right. I. It's the comparison and the contrast between those two events that stands out to me. I mean, it goes back to Dylan Roof, the, the Charleston shooter. He was an active shooter. His threat of violence had already been fulfilled. He had murdered nine people. And cops bought him Burger King. And, you know, if police officers bought everyone Burger King, that's one thing. But we can't accept a society in which white people who are armed and violent are treated more favorably than black people. Full stop. Yeah. Yeah, I do acknowledge that there are, you know, consequences for crime, um, you know, and that, that there should be, you know, it's, but it's like with Jacob Blake, you know, he was, I just can't help but think that, you know, it, back to how it's just, a, a, an understood fact or, you know, feeling among society that regardless of what happens, a young black man is inherently dangerous it, or just assumed to be dangerous, regardless of whether they have done something. And then like a young white man is almost presumed to not be dangerous even in the face of doing something horrible. <laughs> exactly. Because I can listen in good faith if you say, you know, the price of maintaining law and order is that people who pose a violent threat, there is a mechanism within law enforcement that eliminates that threat with force. I'm not necessarily saying that I That's agree good. or disagree. Right. But I can but I can hear that argument. But where it breaks down and doesn't feel like it's in good faith anymore is when people refuse to acknowledge that it's inherently messed up that black man going to his car is a threat. White boy who just shot people is not a threat. Yeah. White militias get water and thanks from police officers for violating curfew black people are violent rioters right and i guess it also we, we have to talk about the video that's resurfaced of that uh police officer i don't know if he's the sheriff or the chief of police or the head of the union or something the, but the, the it was the the sheriff the kenosha county sheriff 
Kenosha County Sheriff who basically expressed his views that the way to solve crime is to round up a an entire generation of young black men and let them rot in a warehouse. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It is ridiculous that we think that the threat is a race of people. Like I can't I can't believe we're still litigating this. You know, this is what Right. This is what we fought against. The idea that people are somehow genetically or culturally inferior. Right. And it it really pushes those emotional buttons and you can get riled up in group out group stuff. But there's no merit to it. Right. Well, and like hell, I even saw a a video online. I was on Twitter. You know, I didn't do you know the background research on it, but I saw it anyway. It was you know a a white man in you know who was uh, trying to be arrested by police, but you know the white man wasn't happening having it. He was talking back to the police officer, trying to go back to his truck, even said to the police officer, I'll fucking kill you while the police officer has his gun drawn on him and yet like continues not to shoot him many Mm -hmm. times. And it's like it clearly for other people, resisting arrest is not a death sentence or or one counterfactual that I've been thinking about is that, um, you know, what if, you know, change nothing about the situation except for instead of Jacob Blake, the person trying to be arrested for the exact same scenario with the same set of priors is like a wealthy doctor. And like a wealthy white doctor. And I can't help but think that it would not go down like it did. Like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the doctor's, you know, wanting to resist arrest and, you know, he's, he uh, gets pinned down, but he gets away and he tries to go to his car and, and the police know that there are children in the car. And, even that fact alone for a white person would most likely make them not do it. Like, because, you know, there's sympathy for white children and all that stuff. I mean, hell, there's even people trying to bring out sympathy for Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, like that he's a young man and this, you know, will, you know, affect and ruin his life. And it's like, well, You know, I can have a conversation about, you know, redemption and, you know, forgiveness and, you know, what we're, you know, not locking people up for the rest of their lives and all that kind of stuff. But when it only happens in the context for a white person, that's where I get a little upset because it's 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 just just disingenuous if it's going to be. You know, if we're going to have hope and forgiveness and see the better angels of their the demons of the white people, but not black people, then 
that's where I have trouble. And that's, I'm pretty sure that's where you have trouble, Evan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, And before we get the complaints that, well, you know, this is all just anecdotal, blah, blah, blah. We tell stories because it's important to illustrate these concepts, but there's statistical grounding for the idea of racial bias in law enforcement. We know that as a percentage of population, black men are killed by police at a rate two and a half times that of white men. You can't ignore that and be taken seriously in this discourse. It is, it's not about Jacob Blake. It's not about whether or not he was a good person. It's about the fact that he was treated differently based on his skin color. If Jacob Blake is guilty of sexual assault, then he should go to jail for the appropriate length of time. If... And even, for re- and even for resisting arrest, he should go, you know, have whatever charges added sure, for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But just because he may have been an unsavory person, and we don't know for sure if he is, because again, there's not a ton of information that can really be truly verified on this. But if he is the worst person in the world, I still think he deserves to have justice applied equally to him. Yeah. And, you know, if, because that's the thing is, is it's presented as if, yeah, you know, sucks to suck, but the officers had no choice, but we are shown time and time again, that officers have the ability to exercise a lot of discretion and a lot of choice in when they apply force and when they don't. And we are starting to see what the key factors are in making those decisions. And it has nothing to do with the individual guilt or innocence of the suspect. Yeah. That's my broader point. I mean, yeah. And, you know, back to my, you know, wealthy Doctor counterfactual. I mean, some people would probably be like, they wouldn't do that. And it's like, people do things. And, you know, um, because that's also a form of racism that like, oh, white people don't resist arrest. Like they do. They, they, they very much do. And, um, you know, if it had been a wealthy doctor trying to get arrested with three kids in the car, you know, one, there would have been like a moral calamity of like, do we shoot? His kids are right there. It'd be so traumatic for them. And then also like they wouldn't see it as like a threat. They would just be like, okay, so we'll go to his house afterwards or give pursuit in our cars now and wait for him to stop. Um, but when it's a black man, it's seen that like, I don't know. It, it It's almost treated like he's in the middle of a murderous rampage and that if we let him go, then like people are going to die imminently, which I mean, certain cases that could be the case. But this one, it was not. There's a fantastic Chappelle show sketch that's like 15 years old at this point, but feels really relevant where. Dave kind of imagines, you know, what it would be like if 
the way that law enforcement treated criminals of different communities were reversed. And so he's playing, I can't remember if it's his Tron character, if it's some other character who's a drug dealer and, you know, he's, um, he, he gets to negotiate with the police when he turns himself in and then he's late, but they're like, Oh, it's fine. Ha ha ha. And then, (laughs) you know, a SWAT team just bangs down this white guy's door who's convicted of insider trading or something or accused of insider trading and they just shoot his dog and it's uh-huh. completely bewildering. Yeah. And uh, you just, again, anecdotal but with statistic statistical backing, but you, there was a story that came up in the news of how uh, I believe Kyle Rittenhouse missed his initial hearing in court in Kenosha and the judge rescheduled it. And then it was contrasted against a young black man, and I I don't recall what jurisdiction this was in, but he overslept and missed jury duty and then spent 10 days in jail. For jury duty. It wasn't even his own, like, trial. It was jury duty. Yes. So, yeah. (laughs) The breadth of this issue is massive, and... It seems like a lot of the defenses of the status quo are missing the point entirely. If you give me a world where there is no difference in how law enforcement officers treat black people and white people, and Jacob Blake still ends up getting shot, it's not great, but I can accept that a bit more. At least accept it from, you know, what we have now. Yes. If you give me a world in which justice is meted out equally, if you give me a world in which the police officers tackle Kyle Rittenhouse to the ground and, and don't let him get away after committing a murder, then I can live with that a bit more. But the the tension between the two is the issue. And I think that's why it's blown up so much is because, like you said, Joe, it is almost a perfectly crafted wedge issue. And that's why I think it can spread is because it's not really about Jacob Blake and the Kenosha Police Department's role in that community. It's about how people are treated in this country and what factors determine the decisions of people who have weapons and are tasked with maintaining order. Yeah. Uh, It's just, I mean, it just feels like it's been exhausting talking about this. Like, you know, if anything, you and I's viewpoint is for the most part, we really just want to reduce death. That's mm-hmm. the big thing. That's like the biggest thing we care about is like we want to reduce death and suffering. And when people do bad, I don't we don't believe that death and suffering is, you know, is needed in the exact moment. But it's just these differences in how people are treated for these crimes. Like like people talk about a lot you know, I've seen a lot of, you know, most, you know, in the conservative sphere, you know, like, oh, Kyle Rittenhouse was like 
uh, you know, washing some paint off the courthouse the day of the murder. And, you know, he was, uh, you know, an active member in the community and worked as a lifeguard and all that stuff. And, you know, trying to paint a good picture of him, but it's like, well, you know, what, what, why is, why is he getting the rehabilitation project? Like I, you know, I don't think anybody on, you know, uh, you know, on the, even the black lives matter front are, you know, have tried to like paint Jacob Blake as like a very good person or like a saint, like, yeah, he had some warrants out for his rest, but it's what we believe is, you know, how it should have been handled. You know, he should be arrested, but um, killed for it. No. And we're not like going to try and, you know, say that he was a, a super great person, but super great people or not super great people still deserve to live. They still deserve due process. Yeah. Enshrined in the constitution right but but it, but then like there isn't like a massive project of like well how traumatic this is going to be for jacob blake's children because that would totally be a topic of conversation had he had been white but like like with uh talks about like child welfare and you know other government programs it's almost like when it's the children of white parents or middle-class parents, because there is a lot of ways that discussions about race and the poor intersect with each other in many of these conversations and even, you know, some crime statistics, but it's like, you know, if they're black and poor, it's like, well, it's the parents responsibility to give their kids a better life and they should have been responsible for not getting in a situation to be shot by the police. Whereas if it's a white person who is of moderate income, it's like, Oh, how unfair the world acting against them to do this. And I just wish that like level of, uh, charity was given to everybody. Mm-hmm. Or I guess another thing that that gets at me is when people's threshold for outrage is sort of malleable. So if you are upset that people are burning down cars and buildings and destroying other people's property, I can understand that. That's a reasonable response. I wouldn't like it if someone came and destroyed my property either. But I don't understand how that can outrage you and a teenager illegally carrying a weapon and taking two human lives doesn't also outrage you. Because, you know, in polarized world, it seems like there's not a lot of overlap between the people who are upset about column A and the people who are upset about column B. Well, because oftentimes it's about order. And even while... Kyle Rittenhouse created a lot of disorder. It's, you know, in that worldview, it gets to be spun that he was a young man trying to bring order by creating disorder. Like, 
It, it's just well because uh, when when they, when they agree with you, they're maintaining order, right? Because I'm sure that protesters are trying to bring about an order that they feel is more just as well by bringing attention to racial discrimination. But that doesn't inherently justify any action that they will take. Yeah. We, you know, I, I saw, uh, so basically, the story as I understand it is that Rittenhouse shot one person and then was chased and attempted to be disarmed. And during that time, he was hit in the head with a skateboard before he shot the person with the skateboard. And the one of the most callous responses I saw was in response to the person who had been shot and I believe died, play stupid games, get stupid prizes. Because apparently shooting someone is fine. Attempting to stop someone who is armed and has already killed is playing a stupid game and then getting shot by that same murderer is your just desserts, apparently. Yeah. Somehow. It's ridiculous. It is intellectually and morally bankrupt. And, you know, extend it to the other side as well. I'm also upset that someone engaged in what, from all reports, appears to be a peaceful demonstration in favor of Trump was shot, too. That's wrong. Yeah. You can't... like, Like Joe said, the heuristic here, what we are trying to get to is... A place where people don't die you can't you can't be shot for wanting to maintain racial justice in wisconsin and you can't be shot for supporting a president even one that i find reprehensible yeah and are there many things yeah are there many steps in between that are acceptable that don't lead to death you know, that's debatable, you know, on your personal feelings. But the hard line is when it comes to death. <laughs> because death yeah. is final. You know, you can you really can't come back from it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, some would probably, you know, some in response would probably even be like, well, Jacob Blake didn't die, but it's so close to like mm-hmm. and the intent had to have been to kill him, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, that's, I mean, that's the rules of, at least my understanding, uh, the rules of engagement, like you don't shoot someone with regular live ammunition to like hurt them. It has to be, you know, if you intend to kill them because it's a lethal force, Mm -hmm. um, like if you're drawing your gun and shooting at someone, it's the acknowledgement that if, you know, because of that, it has gotten to the point where it's acceptable for them to die because of it. And mm-hmm. um, just just it's just the dying. That, that's that's the big part. Like, you know, I. I the fact that Jacob Blake was getting arrested, not a big deal. Probably should have been. I want to know how it led up to that. But the fact that it went up all the way and included that it was so important that it could have included killing him 
as and seen as justified and that justice would could have in some form been served mm-hmm. and I, that's what i disagree with yeah it um it's the biggest gap that we need to fill in is what the hell happened leading up to the emergency call and what happened when officers arrived on the scene and it you know i i don't think it it matters but it also doesn't because no matter what happened it doesn't change the disparity right like even if because we've said we know that police officers could witness a shooting and let a white person go right jacob blake whatever he may have done was not that he didn't kill anyone now if jacob blake had just shot an officer and this was also the res- this was the response to it. I could be behind it. I would be behind it because or he shot had, anyone. You yeah. know, if he had shot someone and was still carrying the gun around, that that's pretty cut and dried. Honestly, yeah, yeah. He he would uh, be be an imminent danger to the community if left to go on without being detained. And that's the that's I mean, that's the supposed justification of uh, uh, of, you know, using lethal force, not just, oh, this guy was bad and he wasn't listening to us like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just how like it seems like the only some people view that the only way we're going to get certain people to cooperate is if we kill them. (laughs) And that's a, that's a better, that's a better like outcome than, I don't know, waiting a few hours and meeting them at their house or some shit. It's just, it's, it's mind blowing, but, and that's what we want to fix. Like it just, you know, besides this, it just feels like everything's been in a tailspin also with everything with Trump and all these tensions and, you know, how this is a perfect polarized um, incident. It's just, um, you know, people, uh, you know, people throw a lot of flack towards kind of the views Evan and I have. And it's like, oh, you just hate America. You know, always trying to point out problems and all that stuff. It's like, no, I, I like the country and I just want it to be better. I don't want it to be mm-hmm. like this. Um, and I just don't want it to be like this. I don't. So to get personal here, I guess, on this terms of America thing, I, uh, yeah, I just, my loyalty for me personally is to God and God does not ask us to blindly follow a nation. God asks us to treat those around us as our brothers and sisters. And you have to draw a hard line. You can't say it's fine for people to die if they disagree with me politically. But when people that I like 
are attacked, that's the end of democracy. Okay. Yeah. If if you you have to decide, do you care about life and violence or do you not? Right. If you care about people getting upset and rioting, you have to care about people getting shot. Yeah. To do otherwise reveals that your motives are political, they're not moral, and they're not intellectual. So I'm asking anyone who's listening to think right now about what you value. I mean... And make it, you know, a, a consistency here. I mean, hell, like on Tucker Carlson, they talk about the violence that's happening in Kenosha, but Kyle Rittenhouse is like a patriot like a, a young patriot trying to step up and it's like the dude did the most damn violence of all <laughs> like the most yeah. damaging violence of all and 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 we're more worried about some storefronts <laughs> like yeah and again i'm not even saying you can't be worried about the storefronts but you can't say that storefronts being destroyed is a threat to society and someone coming in and murdering two people in the streets is the natural way of things. Yeah. Nothing to worry about. Yeah. And uh, it's just it's been so much. So much yeah. has happened with this. Like this just feels like another level of thing that's going on and dysfunction and and like hell all of this like it just you know riots can be bad murder is bad it's but it's like what it takes for this is even just minimal police reform Minimal reform to how the police operate, how they use force and all that kind of stuff. And if, you know, if we still lived in a society where changes could happen, then, you know, there would be a small change and then it would either work or not. And then we'd be like, okay, well, if that worked or not, can we fix it? Or do we have other ideas of how to fix it and keep moving on? But since we don't, you know, since it seems like as a society we're unable to change anything right now, it just keeps happening. And so people come to try and justify the bad. And then anyone who tries to decide otherwise is like seen as hating on the system where it should just be a natural response to just make things better. You know, I've been thinking more about how you know, uh, you know, the little bit more, you know, that I learn about American history, it almost seems like the period from like after the great depression to like now where it seems like our country has been able to step up to issues and solve things. And, and often time, you know, historically in an exceptional manner in regards to other countries in in the past that, it very well could be that that was a fluke and 
I like to believe in a possible American exceptionalism, but you don't just get it by just saying we're exceptional. You got to earn it and we got to make our society better, but we're just stuck in stasis doing nothing. Yeah. I mean, I think if it's not clear already, I have abandoned any belief in American exceptionalism. And again, part of it is religious because for me, you know, the kingdom of heaven doesn't care about our political divisions. We are not, you know, there's, there's been a lot of rhetoric over the years about how somehow Americans are God's chosen people and it's absolute bullshit. Yeah. But, um, but the Bible says, at the end of the day, but the Bible says (laughs) to hate gays and we listen to the Bible, but they say nothing about America, but we're going to assume it. (laughs) But we, you know, they, they knew, they knew there'd be an America and they knew it would be unqualified (laughs) success. No, but, uh, to, to Joe's point, there have been times where rallying around the idea of American exceptionalism or even just the the better angels of our nature, we have been able to accomplish meaningful change and progress that doesn't take hundreds of years. But we're so embroiled in trying to make another side look bad, finding faults in the opposite side's guy who got murdered, that we don't care about striving to make our own thoughts, beliefs, actions, and decisions align. Yeah. And it is, you know, I think about how this plays out in the COVID response. I've, I follow my Indiana Senator Todd Young on Twitter and he um, he keeps uh, blasting out these tweets about how, oh, the Democrats are playing politics by not passing my COVID relief bill, but he won't vote on the Democrats bill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, either bill is good or bad. I haven't done the time to analyze them, but how can we spend so much time saying that the other guy is bad for doing the exact same thing that we're doing? Right. But there's no political price to pay for it anymore because you have your base and they support you for just attacking the other guy. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's tough to get over that. Ezra Klein wrote a whole book about how hard it is to break polarization, you know. And we it's talk about just, it every day. <laughs> yeah, every week you hear us talk about uh, the uh, why we're polarized, the fifth risk, and the Howard Dean scream. It's it's our, you know, it's our main three. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, things aren't, I, we're not at, I don't think we're at bottom yet. I don't know what bottom looks like. I've I've given up trying to well, assess Well, yeah, that. you don't you don't know until you get there. But I think I don't think you even know when you get there necessarily. I think you only know once you've risen up from the bottom. Right. Right. Um I thought we were at bottom 2 years ago. Fuck yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, who knew uh we could bump it up or get lower whatever whatever uh direction we're going. Um, it's, 
it's been disheartening, but you know, I think this also goes back to the kind of myth that, you know, this type of stupid shit doesn't happen in this country when it does. It mm-hmm. does. And we are definitely going through a bleak period. I mean, I I think you said uh, I can't remember if this was early on the podcast or in the pre-show, but it's like, man, we thought 2019 was bad, and now I can't even remember what was bad about <laughs> 2019. Yeah, some celebrities died, and you know, impeachment was looming, and we thought that was the worst it's gonna do. Yeah. Now, hey guys, remember impeachment? Oh, that was so this quaint. year. Yeah, seven months ago was I'm pretty sure when it happened. Um, so <laughs> it's been uh, th- you know, that was a fucking wild ride, and then we were like, you know, thinking. Oh, you know, we'll do the impeachment, but, you know, that probably won't end up in a whole lot. And then we'll just kind of cruise to the election. (laughs) And, whoa, boy. Not at all. No, it is. I I can't see things really calming down in any meaningful way between now and November. And even then, uh, you know. Once we get to the election, I mean, I think it was what you said to me. It's either going to get a lot better or a lot worse. Yep. Or maybe not in the middle, but it's it's definitely not going to get better between now and then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's tough to say because I think whatever the outcome of the election is, you're going to have people in outrage essentially yeah you know trump has already hinted that he may look to contest the results of the election if he loses which why would you complain about the game being rigged before you even played um well and i I do have one thing to say on that is that it, it it may be just a function of his like old manism because like people ask him, will you accept the results of the election? He's like, I don't know. And everybody gets outraged. But then also his personal definition of accepting the results, Hillary Clinton didn't accept, didn't accept the results of the hmm. election. So I, I do believe he's perfectly capable of pulling the authoritarian, you know, oh, no, I did this. But I think also part of his definition may be that do you like willingly accept with no like preconditions that um, these were the results of the election, not will you step down from power if you lose the election? (laughs) Okay. Well, fair enough distinction, but I do think it extends the other way that if Trump wins, there's going to be plenty of people who are outraged about that too and yeah who knows how that ends up oh yeah definitely so yeah so all this is to say um like yeah. i was saying earlier i think it comes down to moral clarity and i certainly don't expect everyone to view these types of things the same way that i do and that's okay but i do think that it is important to reflect upon what you feel and 
behave in a way that is consistent and compassionate. You know, if you believe in the sanctity of life for religious or non-religious reasons, think about what that means and think about if what you're seeing from those who agree with you and disagree with you reflect that. Yeah. I think I said that in as general and nonpartisan a way as possible. So, I mean, hell, you know, we talk about, you know, criminals are bad. They get to serve to die. Wasn't it Jesus who like the main people he hung out with were like criminals? <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the healthy people don't need a doctor or some, something to that effect. Yeah. Um, there's there's no one whose life is invalid there's nothing that you can do to bring you to the point where you're beyond saving and that i think can be applied either in a religious context or again a non-religious context if that's what you believe but I think what we're seeing right now is too many people. I, you know, I sound like a, I feel like I sound like a dope here on both sides, but too many people in a lot of capacities on both sides who are content to bend their moral reasoning to fit their polarized political identity instead of using principled positions guide their responses to the issues of the day yeah and i think that we're worse for that i think that not saying that it's necessarily even uniquely bad now i think people are always sort of you know motivated reasoning is a thing people will always try to you know all humans in all political parties in all countries in all periods of time have always attempted to bend facts and new information to fit their pre-existing worldview mm-hmm but just because it's something that's inherent within us as humans doesn't mean that it's a good thing. Right. It, it, and so, yeah, yeah, I would, I would encourage you to, to read up, not you specifically, Joe, but people who are listening and are interested to read up on motivated reasoning because being aware of it helps you recognize it when it pops up and then combat it. Well, I think that's that segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to just knock out the end segment now? So, um, I think life and death have been on my mind a lot lately, and I express deep condolences to anyone who is passed away or had a loved one passed away or has been a victim of violence or any sort of aggression and especially you know people who are the victims of police brutality and people who are exercising their right to protest or support a political candidate or politician or leader who are murdered and because you know death is final and when someone is gone they lose everything they could ever be and it rips a hole in people's lives it rips a hole in communities and i think that this 
was made blisteringly clear last week with the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman was an American actor who rose to fame in 2013 for playing the role of Jackie Robinson in the film 42. Actually, this was one of the first movies that I ever reviewed on Midwestern Perspective. Actually, it's so long ago that Midwestern Perspective wasn't even called Midwestern Perspective. It was still called Good Film Hunting at the time. And I reviewed 42, and I I don't really care for the movie. I think it's really simplistic, the kind of thing that they would show in an American history class to 7th graders. But Chadwick Boseman's performance was very good in it. He really displayed a depth of emotion and characterization that the film never allowed him to fully explore. But even in my early review, I highlighted him as a talented performer. Over the next few years, he began to build a resume with more impressive roles, including as James Brown in the Get On Up biopic. In 2016, he played Thurgood Marshall in Marshall. And in 2016, he also joined the Marvel Cinematic Universe, playing Black Panther in Captain America Civil War. By 2018, he had starred in his own Black Panther movie, and it is one of the biggest global box office successes of all time, and also got nominated for Best Picture, which is unprecedented for a superhero movie. And he had continued to work in interesting roles he most recently starring in Spike Lee's The Five Bloods, available on Netflix, and he's great in it. I actually looked over my notes that I had taken on the film, and I wrote, Chadwick Boseman shines in limited screen time, and it turns out that that's the last uh, write-up I will give during his lifetime. And it's, you know, I, I've, it's not more of a tragedy because he was a talented actor anyone's death is deeply sad but it does leave that hole within the film community because he was so young on august 28th his estate announced that he had passed away of colon cancer and it was a huge shock because that's not something that just sort of springs up overnight and his family revealed that he had been fighting the disease in private since 2016 continuing to act and give us these wonderful performances especially i i I think that 42 and to five bloods are going to be the ones that i remember the most and well i guess 42 was prior to his diagnosis but anyway he had been he was black panther while he was actively fighting cancer And the amount of private pain that he must have endured is sort of unfathomable. And like I said, it's not sadder because of his fame, but it just hurts to have someone like that no longer be with us. And Chadwick, we, we miss you, and we're so grateful for the work you did while you were here. There's one other issue that I want to broach, though, because 
obviously fighting cancer takes a physical toll on you. And recently, people had been mocking his posts on Instagram because he had been going through physical deterioration as a result of the disease and treatment. And I think that it's just a strong example of why I believe to touch on something that we've covered earlier on the podcast, why you you just shouldn't comment on the appearance of celebrities because you don't know what they're going through. It turned out for Chadwick Boseman that he was dying of an illness that he had no control over. So I don't know why anyone would want to add more pain to that. You don't know what someone is going through. And it is absolutely unfair to judge. It's just especially hard for Chadwick Boseman because he was 43 years old, very young for morbidity, and it was so sudden, you know? We just couldn't prepare for it. He had been the top of the A-list, and now he's just gone. And... You know, in his relatively short career, I had already seen him in seven films. And he would have given us a lot more. So, no matter how death comes, death is is sad because life is so fragile and so sacred. So, um, we'll miss you. Chadwick Boseman, rest in power. Yes. Yeah, I didn't really know of his work, so I did not add to the conversation. So I believe that brings us to a close on a very somber, very real episode of Adequately Informed. Um, Thanks for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Anthony Hish for the music, as always. But anyway, my name's Joe Hicks. And mine's Evan Kelly. And we hope that you've been adequately informed.